Uh, Maureen, did you want to lead this or? Sure. No, you can't. <laughs> Sorry. From New Hampshire Public Radio, this is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. And here is senior producer Taylor Quimby and executive producer Maureen McMurray. Um, so the reason that I am on the radio right now is to say to you, Sam, host of Outside In. Will you marry me? <laughs> uh, no, no. It's that we have another edition of Ask Sam. Ask Sam. Da, da, da. I forgot how it goes. The theme? Yeah. Why do geese make bees? Does a bumblebee sneeze? Can a person eat trees? Can a polar bear freeze? Is a kidney stone kind of like a pearl in a clam? Well, I don't know. Ask Sam. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a few phone calls since uh, the last time we did Ask Sam. It seems like people are coming out of the woodwork, and they have questions about the natural world they want you to answer. So I guess we might as well just jump right in and listen to our first call. You have one new message. Time, 12.22 p.m. Hi, Sam. This is Mike from Poughkeepsie, New York. During an episode of The West Wing, President Bartlett gets upset when he finds out that at a leadership breakfast, they'll be serving Vermont maple syrup instead of New Hampshire maple syrup. And that got me thinking, can you tell the difference between maple syrups made in different places? Local pride and quality aside, is there a way to distinguish, say, New Hampshire maple syrup from Vermont maple syrup or from Canadian maple syrup? Thanks, Sam. End of recording. So I... I... I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. Really? I think there are people. I think there are people who will say that they can, but they're lying. <laughs> can you tell? Because I didn't know about this until I moved to the Northeast to New Hampshire. That there's like different grading. Yeah. For so, it. can so you tell the difference between the grades? People can. I can. I mean, there's there's like dark amber, and then there's A and B, and they and they recently just changed it. Oh God. I mean, we'd have to look this up to uh, to really know it. But but there are people who can tell the difference between the grades for sure. But I don't think that they could tell you, you know, you have you have like a grade A fancy and a grade A fancy from Vermont and New Hampshire, and they could not tell you what state they're from. But you have to acknowledge that there would be, you know, maybe regional differences between trees in different areas. I feel like Vermont and, and New Hampshire are really close together, and it might be tough. But maybe if you were talking about a different area of Canada and, and then, you know, somewhere in New England, maybe you'd start to get far away enough that there would be subtle differences. I would think that if it is possible, Vermont and New Hampshire would be different enough that you could tell. Because Vermont and New Hampshire have very, very different soils. And anybody who looks at like at like soil geology can tell you that. But I, I just don't think there's actually a difference. And part of the, okay, so part of my bias here in guessing this is like having read all these studies about how wine experts can't actually tell anything about uh, wine. You know, it's like it's like they present them with like a white wine that's been dyed red and it it tricks like <laughs> some vast majority majority of wine experts. So I, I think that there are people who will say like, oh, I, I could totally tell the difference, but they're just full of it. We should try to find someone. We should do a blind taste test. That would be funny. We could do that. Hang on. Before we, I'm just going to, I'm going to lay it out here. My stance is that anyone who says that they can, they can tell the difference is full of it. All right. Registered. Lucas, give me a one, two, three. One, two, three, check, check, check. There we go. Hey. So I will say, full disclosure here, I contend that you are full of it. 
I am. I am full of it. <laughs> but I'm confidently full of it. I feel very confident. So, Lucas, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. This is excellent. Uh, so we have here Lucas Meyer, who is someone who responded on Twitter when I asked for people who felt that they were confident that they could identify New Hampshire versus Vermont maple syrup. I have here arrayed in front of you a selection of fine maple syrups, all of which are in fact derived from boiling the sap of the maple tree. One is from New York State. One is from Ugh. Canada. One is from New Hampshire and one is from Vermont. You have the containers there in front of you and uh, and and four cups. Going to let you try all those and guess. All right. Cup A. Mm. Delicious. Feelings? Feelings? Thick. Thick. It's a thick. That's a deep syrup right there. I'm going to consult my sheet here because I've already forgotten what that was. Okay, all right. All oh, right. man. Mmm. Yeah, that's very different. That reminds me of second grade field trips to a, to a sugar house. That's so it's just, like the classic. But like a little bit of like caramel apple in there. Hmm. It's a little more generic. That's my least favorite. Ooh. Very flat. Flat. I hope that's not the New Hampshire one. What? Flat, wait, wait. <laughs> flat as in, as in, I mean. A very mellow syrup. As opposed to has lost its carbonation. <laughs> Oh man! All right, all right. So you've got four. You got four options there. If you get even one right, I'm going to be impressed. All right, I'm going to go A Canada, B New Hampshire, C Vermont, D New York. No, you just—that is four for four. Shut up! <laughs> You're kidding me. I have never been so proud of myself. <laughs> Can no. you tell me what led you to make the decisions you made? Uh, B. I went back and forth between Canada and New Hampshire on. That was the one that was like, snap for me. I was like, that, that's familiar. New York, I just liked the least. It was flat. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Uh, and then the Canadian one was like a lot, was different. It was like, it was a, it was a thicker brew. I'm like totally making this up. All right, so here's, here's the story. In preparation for this, I called Jim Fadden. Uh, who is the president of the New Hampshire Maple Producers Association, seventh-generation maple producer. A guy has boiled a lot of sap. A lot of sap. Here's what he said. Well, I can tell you that all maple syrups produced at different sugar orchards is going to taste a little bit different. Um, as the fact of being able to tell if it was made in New Hampshire or whether it's made in Vermont or over in Maine, I highly doubt that someone could blindly taste the maple syrup and say where it was produced. So this was supposed to be a trap. Supposed we were supposed to be. to be entrapping you, and somehow you you deftly evaded the jaws of whatever trap we had going. Um, the one thing that he did say that I thought was interesting is that you can identify when syrup has been produced toward the end of the season because it gets this what they call a buddy taste. Buddy being that the buds are coming out on the trees, hence buddy taste. So he thought it was impossible. I thought it was impossible, but somehow Lucas Meyer, you did it. Look, if you just like believe in yourself, and you you know you practice. You know, I was up all night last night just drinking maple syrup, <laughs> so I felt I felt pretty well prepared. But no, that's I did not expect that, and I think I was pretty lucky. Well, pretty- bravo, sir. Regardless, thank you. God damn. Hi, this is Mike Dontangle. H- hey, Mike. This is Sam uh, of Outside In. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. 
we really dug in on this question. <laughs> so I'm gathering. <laughs> and and I have to say we have conflicting we have conflicting results to report. Okay. So I talked to a number of people, including a seventh generation maple sugar orchard owner, uh, who told me that this should be impossible, that there should be no way to tell uh, the difference between syrup produced in one state versus another. And then we had a blind taste test with a random person from Twitter who volunteered saying quite audaciously that he could tell the difference. Uh, and we had not just Vermont and New Hampshire. We had Vermont, New Hampshire, New York, and Canada. And he guessed all four right on his first try. Holy cow. So I don't know what to tell you here, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is amazing, perhaps. <laughs> so you are, in fact, a math professor. Yes. So we actually want to ask you a question, which is, what are the odds that he just guessed that by chance? Well, okay. If you've got four choices, then there are... 24 different possible lists he could make. Right. And only one of them is right. So the odds are one out of 24. Okay, so that's not so astronomical. I mean, that's like a really, really good guess. Yeah. But it's not like winning the lottery. No, the odds of that are, are I've heard, much smaller than one out of 24. <laughs> I think I would play the lottery if yeah. it was one in 24. Uh-huh, and if it involved guessing maple syrup, that would make me want to play the lottery even more. But so so after he tried the syrups, I, I tried them as well. There are differences, but pinpointing those differences to geographic areas is really hard. And so I think that if we were to design a study where we could go back and really figure this out, what we would do is we would get a bunch of super tasters, you know, some statistically important number, <laughs> <laughs> and we would have them train for like a year where they're they're trying different syrups from all different producers in all different states. And then we would, we would redo the blind taste test with all those super tasters with, with all sorts of different syrups over the course of like a day. Uh, and that would be the only way to answer this question for sure. I think the idea of having a job where all you do is taste maple syrup all day sounds kind of awesome. <laughs> I think it would be very cool. You know, we've got a lot of pancake houses around here. It'd be very nice to have a syrup sommelier, you know, on standby. <laughs> pair pair your syrup with your, like, oh, is there walnuts? Oh, you yeah. have walnuts in that oh, pancake? Oh, blueberry pancakes. Well, that's a very different story. <laughs> if, if there would be any place that would be on the forefront of starting a program in syrup sommeliers, it would be us here at the Culinary Institute of America, where I am a professor of math, not of syrup, but I'm, <laughs> I'm working on that now. It's in the works. All right. So cool. watch this space, listeners of Outside In. Uh, forthcoming science on the taste of maple syrup, you know, soon to come, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, we've got one more call uh, that I think we can still take on this little episode. So why don't we hear call number two? Saved message. Time, 6.17 p.m. Hey, Sam. It's Rebecca from Hopkinton, New Hampshire. Also from across the aisle from you at work. You know, I'm the digital director here at NHPR. Here's my question. Why does it take my dog so long to figure out exactly where it is that he wants to go to the bathroom. Number one, number two, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of pickiness going on, on leash, off leash, on walks on the road. 
in the woods running free, it doesn't matter. Location seems to be incredibly important, and I want to know why. Please answer my question. Bye-bye. Wow. Okay, so this is this is the Ask Sam episode where we, we um, reveal the fact that Ask Sam is actually a total sham, and it's just to ask other people, because I have no idea. <laughs> I, I actually know some of the reasons for this. One, um, and this is probably the most relatable thing, it's sometimes it's hard to go to the bathroom. And if you're outside, <laughs> and you know, I mean, you know, you're going to find a comfortable spot. Do you ever go into somebody's house where they've got a weird toilet and it's dirty and like it's it, it, you have trouble summoning the urge? Maureen is looking at me like this has never happened. <laughs> I've gone to someone's house and it's that filthy. <laughs> I just I just mean it's different. The space just, is uncomfortable know? for yeah. I've gone on vacations where like I stopped having number two for like a couple days because I feel like my body was just like, no, no, you're in a weird new place. Don't do it. Oh, my God. Maybe I'm speculating here. <laughs> Do you have any link between that experience that you had and, and our dog's experience? Uh, to some degree. So I just moved to a new apartment, and my dog has been not going to the bathroom uh, as easily. One of, the, one of the reasons that I've actually heard is that because dogs, like anybody, can be distracted. So, you know, I'm in a new neighborhood that has a lot of other pets and a lot of other pet owners. And so if it starts to go to the bathroom and then it sees like a squirrel on a tree or another <laughs> dog, then often it'll just stop what it was about to do and it'll, you know, pull at the leash and want to yap at a squirrel. I also have heard that some dogs know that they're being taken out to use the bathroom, but they want to be outside. So maybe they're waiting because they they just want to spend time outside and they know that as soon as they go to the bathroom, their owner is going to take them back in. Rebecca's dog really likes the natural world and using it. <laughs> Doesn't want to go back in. You know, this wasn't the definition of using the natural world that we thought of when we came yeah. up with that tagline. No. <sighs> All right. Let's, uh, Sam, do the thing that you do where you call people. <laughs> Ask Sam to call someone. I'll be back. Okay, I'm back. That that actually was really, really easy. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so maybe we should just go get Rebecca? Yeah, let's get her. All right, hold on. Okay. Hello, hello. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Sam. So we're back. We've brought Rebecca Lavoie into the studio here instead of arbitrarily making her call into a random phone line. <laughs> so, Rebecca, here's what I've got for you. I found a guy named Brian Hare, who's the founder of Duke University's Canine Cognition Center. Nice. He's also the founder of something called Dognition. <laughs> Dognition.com. All right, all right. Which I struggled to understand, but it sounds like it's some kind of mix between lumosity for dogs uh, and and kind of like a citizen science project. All right, so anyway, uh, here's the story. This is this comes straight from Dr. Hare. The reason it's such a process is because uh, dogs uh, evolve from wolves, of course, and just like wolves, uh, they leave a lot of information uh, in their urine and in their feces about who's been there, when they've been there, uh, what is their reproductive status, um, you know, what they've been eating, uh, et cetera. And so, you know, it's not, it, as people say often, it's like a dog's reading the newspaper to um, smell what others have left. And uh, then they are creating content, as we are right now, Sam, uh, by, you know, going to the bathroom uh, in special places. And just like you, as a media person, you want to put your product, your content, somewhere where people will see it, where people will hear it and read it. 
And uh, the reason that dogs, for instance, like to uh, defecate or urinate on things that are high is because that's going to be easier for someone else's sniffer to run into. <laughs> so it's, they're, they're going for page views. <laughs> that's right. They're looking for readership. So what do you think about that? How does, does that check out for for your experience? Yeah. So basically what he's saying is it's like the dog, just like we spend a lot of time trying to compose the perfect Instagram photo to show where we've been, what we're eating, <laughs> what we're up to, to try to appeal to as many people as possible. Like that's what the dog's doing. It's like Poopstagram. Yeah, that's exactly right. Wow. And and so there are a couple of things like we, we had sort of bantered this about, you know, distraction Taylor had mentioned. Yeah. That is a real thing. Uh, if, if you're in a distracting environment for a dog, that slows them down big time. Yeah. Other dogs are definitely the worst. My least favorite thing is when you've been on a walk, you've been waiting for the moment, and it and it clearly it's like they're getting into position. That <laughs> little and then the head, the like... head just like looks up suddenly, and they see another dog across the street. Did you get so mad stops. at the person with that dog? Don't you ever get like angry? Like, why did you have to bring your dog out at this moment? You know, I, I my anger is sort of uh, undirected. I just get angry in general. <laughs> just. Anxiety have anything to do with it? I know. I think you know, Taylor. You said something about like almost performance anxiety. Maybe that's not the right way to say it. No, but. I think that's the right way to say it. Sometimes that happens. I think it has to do with you know performance anxiety. It's harder or easier depending on what they're eating. Yes or no? Yeah. Well, and they also have a big. There's a, there's a lot to do with preference. So it's like at four and a half months old, a lot of dogs develop their preference for where they like to poop and yep. it's like the surfaces they like to poop on and like and like the surroundings they like to be in. So once those preferences are set, if they're not in that space, they have a really hard time. It's a real problem when you have a baby dog and there's snow on the ground and then suddenly there isn't. They do not know what to do. <laughs> what happens on the beach? Uh, you're not allowed to have your dog poop on the beach, Maureen. <laughs> What kind of beach do you go to? <laughs> the worst beach ever. <laughs> Poop Island. Wait, 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 wait. Um, what about the, uh, what was the thing we were talking about? Like magnetic poles? Yeah, okay, so here's the other thing that, that you perhaps have not considered. Uh, Rebecca, have you ever paid attention to what direction your dog points himself when he goes? I have, only because I heard about it on NPR about, I want to say like a year ago, there was like a report that dogs like to face north when they go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I have started paying attention to that. So you're out yes. there with your compass as, <laughs> yes. you, as he goes? Well, I know which way is north because that's the side that the moss grows on the trees, right, Ooh. Sam? How about that? Yeah. Nature girl here. Nature girl. So anyway, here's here's just another Brian clip. If you think about your dog pooping, they often seem to kind of spin around a little bit. It's not just finding the right spot, but then once they find it, they kind of take forever. There you are. It's freezing cold outside. You know, I remember I had my dog in Germany, and it was freezing winter, and it's like, would you just go already? And he's found the place. It's high up. You can see there's sort of urine spots in the snow, so I know there's a good chance he's going to go here. And then he's spinning around and around and around. <laughs> Finally, he can kind of, you know, mosey in there and do his business. And it seems that this study found a relationship between uh, dogs orienting towards magnetic north uh, when they defecate, which, <laughs> I mean, who would have thought that? Yeah. And and so and we don't know why exactly. It's just they're sensitive to magnetism somehow. And, and that's, right. that's, that's how they like lie. it. Why they would do that, nobody knows. Well, that could come in handy, I guess, if you're lost. <laughs> Is it different in Australia? <laughs> like... <laughs>
<laughs> Though fun fun caveat from that study, which I, I like looked up in preparation for this, they only do that when the magnetosphere is relatively calm. So you can tell when there's like a magnetic storm going because your dog's like on an east-west axis. <laughs> wow. Stuart, who knew? Who knew? So do you feel like your question's been answered? I feel like it was answered thoroughly, informatively, and, you know, I actually am kind of, like, proud of my little social media poopstagramming dog right now. He's got, like, some social media poop savvy. <laughs> oh, well, you, that's, you don't know how many followers he has. Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans-Brown, with help from Taylor Quimby, Maureen McMurray, Jimmy Gutierrez, Molly Donahue, and Logan Shannon. If you'd like to get your question on to Ask Sam, you can leave a message on the Ask Sam hotline, 603-223-2448. If you want, you can also record a voice memo onto your smartphone and send it to outsidein at nhpr.org. Remember, keep your questions brief. You can find us online at OutsideInRadio.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And we're also newly on Google Play. So if that's how you like to listen to your podcast, you can find us there as well. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Yeah.